This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Mania. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumeble. And our topic this week is... Joining the Subaru family. Awesome. About time. Uh, but first, I have some follow-up. Yeah, sad follow-up. Sad follow-up for fans of episode 150, All My Friends Have HomePods. Uh, <laughs> Google <laughs> is shutting down Stadia, which is the cloud gaming service we reviewed on that episode on January 18th, 2023. All Stadia hardware that was purchased through the Google Store is going to be refunded, as well as all of the games and DLC purchased from the Stadia Store, which means that I am probably going to be buying the next Destiny 2 expansion with the money that I spent on the previous Destiny 2 expansions, uh, (laughs) since I bought them all on Stadia for the past few years. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that. Um, But yeah, uh, basically reports have come out saying that well, first of all, developers found out at the same time as users that this was happening, including developers who were working on games for Stadia, so that sucks. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, lots of people found out that they were going to be scrapping months and months of work uh, because of that, so that's all. that always sucks. I think it happened with the Vita store as well when they were going to close that down, uh, and people who were still working on games basically found out at the same time as the public, which sucked uh and as we were talking about before recording uh it also kind of sucks that all of the stadia hardware uh primarily the controller is not detected as a regular usb controller so basically we all have this e-waste controller now that won't do anything uh basically the only part of the bundle that uh, we got a while back uh is the 4k chromecast like that's going to stay relevant but everything else that was in that package is basically going into the garbage because it's useless can I describe my definition of, of relevant? What is that? <laughs> so it, this 4K Chromecast will end up like the previous Chromecast that I have, aka stayed in its box. No, I, <laughs> I think I plugged it once and just played with it a bit and then put it back in the box. And then I think it's my tech my tech junk drawer. Yeah. I wonder if I get got rid of the original one when I got... Uh, the the studio deal but i might i might still have it to be honest <laughs> so that's a uh, relevancy for you yeah um so yeah it was really funny because um as usual there are always people who are dunking on stadia uh, as one of the few people who actually spent money on stadia games out of the people on my timeline uh i think i'm pretty satisfied with uh, the refund strategy which is basically like you did not lose money on stadia at all if you bought into it i believe i heard somewhere that bungie is also working on a solution to transfer your save over to non-stadia platforms if you uh, had only played Destiny 2 on Stadia, uh, which is not surprising. They already have crossplay in, uh, cross save in place and crossplay, but that's less relevant. Uh, but if for some reason you just did not own Destiny anywhere else and you didn't uh, have a way of transferring your save, it seems that you will be able to transfer your save even after Stadia is gone, uh, which is good. Uh, I think I said on the Stadia episode that uh, I had trust that if something ever happened to Stadia, Bungie would probably have some sort of parachute for their users uh to uh, get them onto a different platform and it seems like something like that is in the works uh ubisoft is also working on something similar for the uh, the assassin's creed games uh but i I don't care about those games so who who cares (laughs) but still yeah it's nice that two big game studios can do that of course there was uh 
it's interesting because you sort of had two categories of games that were being funded by Stadia and sort of no other games that were not being funded by Stadia were coming out. Uh, there were the big studios like Ubisoft and Bungie that were basically given dump trucks of money uh, to put their games on Stadia. And there were tiny indie studios that were working on these games uh, that would probably sell for like $10 on Steam for Stadia and were also given let's say generous wheelbarrows of money uh, for indie studios uh so yeah it's it's kind of odd because the big studios are obviously in a situation where they can offer parachutes to their users to other platforms uh the indie devs not so much uh but again i don't think anyone actually bought indie games on stadia because you might as well just buy them somewhere else (laughs) And a lot of the indie games that were being funded just fundamentally were not a good fit for the Stadia platform and the inherent latency and all of that stuff. So it was always kind of awkward. Um, but yeah, so Stadia dying in January. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll actually give Resident Evil Village a try on Stadia before it dies just to give it a shot. Uh but given our track record of talking about it on almost every episode <laughs> since it has been discovered and not actually playing it, maybe not. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned this because I was wondering if it was going to do the same. Uh, but I was like, you know what? It's dead now, so who cares? Yeah. And anyway, now I've got like all of the Resident Evil Cloud stuff to try on Switch instead. So, <laughs> Ooh. That's more interesting. It's to some degree, yeah. Um, I have less trust that they'll do it as well as Google, though. Uh mm. So anyway, that that's it for our follow-up for this week. We can go into the main topic, which is joining the Subaru family. Yes. So as I tease in a previous follow-up section, um, I got rid of the Focus RS about six months ago, or more than six months ago at this point. And tonight's, uh, to this week's episode is going to be about that exactly, my six months ownership update of a 2022 Subaru Outback Wilderness. Um, as you may recall, it's not my first episode about cars, and especially about the cars I own. So if you want to have a previous episode, like revisit what I thought of the uh, Focus RS after four years of ownership, you can go in our back catalog and listen to episode 162, but we can't find it where I discuss my Focus RS uh, and a little bit of my car ownership history, even if I had the papered throughout our back of episode, a bit of all of it, what I've been discussed in previous episodes. But uh, episode 162 is a good summary of, at that point, where I was with my cars. So uh, for this week, what I've decided is to give you a six-month update in two different sections. So more or less first, why did I change and the, all the history and all the stories around getting a new car in this crazy car market. If you follow the news just a bit, even if you're not into cars, you know that it's crazy there too. And then kind of talk about the Subaru Outback itself in the latter section of this episode. So first, I kind of want to uh, surface the reasoning why we decided to switch car. So... As I mentioned in previous episodes, uh, up until March of this year, uh, we had two cars. Um, funnily enough, they were two manual transmission cars. So I had a 2017 Ford Focus RS and a 99 Porsche Boxster. Uh, 
And at that point, uh, one of the big cataclysms of having discussion about like we need to not get rid of one of them, but kind of like start looking at that is at the beginning of the year, Tony finally got his driving license. Uh, so he was pretty happy about that. Uh, it was a long journey to get it. And he was like kind of wanting to drive. Uh, and I didn't want to. I kind of wished that he would. So he knows how to drive a manual car, but it was not something that he fancied that much. And you know what? I can get behind that, even if it saddens me. Uh, but in the end, throughout the ownership of Porsche since I bought it in 2021, it was nice to see him enjoy this car, even if he was not driving it. So he was really enjoyed the road trip we had in it. Yeah. The fact that it's a roadster, so that we, uh, it, and it's a two-seater, uh, yes, complains that it's a bit low to the ground and things like that. But overall, like, I like, and one of the key element to me about him showing that he likes his car is, like, sometimes it's just like, let's go on a drive with it. So <laughs> at least that was that. And to be totally honest, like, I knew that that wasn't the case with the Focus. And I knew he wanted something with a bit more space. And um, I don't want to say that the focus was getting long in the tooth because I was starting to reconsider starting to do driving events with it uh, for the last, at this point, uh, since summer of 2019, I haven't been to a trace track. Um, so like more or less for this summer, I was kind of start, starting to think, you know, if I still have the focus... I would probably look into maybe not going as actively as I've been doing from 2017 or 2016, 2015 to 2020, 2019. But I was considering to go back to that. Um, and right now, for obvious, uh, for particular reasons that I want to, don't want to go through in this episode, like I don't want, I don't want to do that with the Porsche just yet. Um, so, so yeah, so in the end, um, Discussion came and we realized, okay, you know what? We have an opportunity to possibly have good money uh, for the focus uh, in the current market. And we'll discuss what I mean by current market. Uh, and it would be also a good opportunity to have a car that Tony can drive. And now that he has his licenses that in weekends where possibly I don't want to drive to go back to our hometown in Trois-Rivières, that uh, I can stay home and he can drive. Or if he has moments uh, during the week when, when I work that I, I, I can can't drive to Trois-Rivières, then you can do that. So the next question was literally, why buying a Subaru? And, because I said so. Uh, yes, yes. But the, the funny story is, throughout the recent years, like, Tony was, I don't think he still is, but Tony was not really a car person, especially not like I am. And, but Every time we were driving around, like, he would occasionally, like, say, oh, I really like the look of this car. I really like the color of this car and, and things like that. But he would always lost after the Subaru Crosstrek, which is a, a smaller ver a smaller SUV in their lineup. So since we were looking for getting that and we had common grounds, like, I'd, to be honest, like, part of our uh, buying process, and we'll come back to this later, like, we test drove the, the Crosstrek, and I think it's a really good small like a compact suv made by subaru and in general subaru cars have a good reputation uh if you ignore a moment in like 
the early aughts to mm-hmm. maybe 20 things like that they're like they're, they're not uh, for sure they're, they're not toyota's and ondas like they're not as reliable as those japanese brand but they are and in our um quebec and canadian climate they're pretty popular for their all-wheel drive system so there are everywhere around here uh, and i'm sure yannick can attest to that yeah, I'll always remember, like, every couple of years they do, like, oh, what's the most stolen uh, stolen car in Quebec? And it's almost always, like, a Subaru Impreza of some kind. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of Toyotas, to be honest. But I, I see what you mean, that they are pretty at the top of the list because there's a shit ton of them. Yeah. So, in the end, it was it was a well, a good place to start. For me on the side, like, for sure... Um, when we decided to kind of like broaden our horizon, like I literally give one of my like car books to Tony, where it lists all the like 2022 models uh, and car guides, and I was like, look at it and then tell me what you want to try and things like that. Funnily enough, uh, none of the other cars that were non-Subaru weed and <laughs> test driving or even going to see. Uh, and I think the, the 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 I don't think I want to say it's a compromise, but what I mean by that is we kind of like looked a bit at what we wanted. Like, why are we changing? For sure, we were looking at having a less sporty car. That was a big uh, upside. Um, for sure, if even if I wished it was still a manual, I knew that that was out the window. I did have, um, I did have a, a point to make, though, that would say like, you know what, like, I'm used to a certain level of performance from cars, and for sure, like we're buying a like a more family-focused car, so I'm not expecting it to uh, drive drive amazingly. But uh, with the Focus RS, I was used at I was used of a certain power output of the engine, and then like downgrading to something that was literally half as powerful <laughs> would be, let's put it this way, problematic in my book. So trying to find something that was kind of a, a good middle ground for that uh, was quite hard, to be honest, because, again, we would do want to buy something that was considered like a performance SUV, uh, A, out of the budget, and B, like, we're kind of back to square one. Uh, and at that point, I'm in the camp of if you buy a performance SUV, you can also buy a performance car, but I digress again. Does Subaru still make the WRX wagon? They do not. So That's unfortunate. For a couple of, for a couple of generations. Uh, they only make sedans. And I've heard that in the new generation of the Imprezas. Again, I haven't looked too much. It's one of my Quebec po- car podcasts that I listen to. They've mentioned this in their news section. So uh, I'll have to check again. But they've been saying that they are considering only... Sh- like the in the new generation of the Impreza, they will be only keeping the... Um, the hatchback model, but for the WRX, there's no longer an STI. So for the WRX, mm. it will stay the the sedan model, which is a bit weird because you have the normal Impreza that will be an hatchback five door, and for years now, at least in our Canadian market, the WRX is not available as an as an hatchback, and that was a pretty well loved car when it was still around around I think. 2011 2012 it was still around especially in the sti model uh i i remember this model to be pretty popular but yeah no so sadly it's kind of a yes and no yes if you want the base impreza if mm. you want a more uh, performance oriented car they haven't been doing that in canada for years that's too bad 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I have a friend uh, that has a no, like a base impressor that is uh, the Atchback model, and it's pretty roomy even in the back seat. So it's pretty, like a pretty well done car. And I think overall they they make a good mix. And I think that's what you'll see throughout the review section that will be coming later. Is I think overall Subaru for like a Japanese brand make reliable cars compared to other brands. They might not be the best, the more, the most reliable Japanese brand out there, but I think they they have more other advantages, especially their all-wheel drive system that kind of like fits the fits the uh, fill the voids compared to, okay, you're getting a maybe a less reliable car, but at least you do have a great all-wheel drive system. I want to. I don't want to talk too much about this, but more or less, what happened is p- while sh- shopping for the Crosstrek, we went to the Subaru dealership, and Antonio saw, "Oh yeah, there's something called the Outback." I was like, "Yeah," and then uh, we encountered some promo marketing uh, images of the model we bought, which is the Wilderness, and he was pretty interested. So we ended up cross shopping two of their SUVs, and. Um, more or less deciding on buying uh, the bigger one. Uh, we, again, for sure, whether it was buying the Crosstrek or the Outback, uh, the down payment out of the Focus RS, uh, because it kept its value pretty intensely, and especially in the last few uh, months, uh, the first few months of 2022, uh, its value grew, uh, because I was starting kind of consider looking at what, what's coming next for me uh last summer uh and the couple of values i got around that time were like five to seven k lower than what we ended up getting at the dealership and that's dealership value so it's not like full uh retail price that you could get if you were to sell on uh like on facebook marketplace or any other like direct consumer type of transaction so uh, the car stock shortages and the car price bubble are like really directly related uh, to kind of like uh, pushing the decision uh, over the edge. For sure, for me, uh, going through, like I understand possibly some of our needs of getting uh, needing a bit more space than what we had with the Focus was a good point. Uh <sighs> It did mean, though, that in our North American market, it I don't want to say it meant 100% I got to get an SUV, but it's kind of like maybe 85, 90% of the choices were SUV uh, vehicles or uh, maybe some hatchback. But then uh, the main issue with a lot of the hatchback is the... Uh, the engines would be a bit more problematic because they would be considered a bit more cheaper cars. Um, so yeah, so if we jump into the car buying process, uh, we ended up more or less uh, test driving the Crosstrack. And I think uh, for me, when you buy a car, I think it's an important step. Even if in theory, like the type of test drive you do when you go to the dealership is not really great, but at least it's something. Uh, you can encounter a couple of like feelings or just like m- behaviors that the car does that it can compare still. Uh, and it was fun. Like I know, depending on the value of the car and type of dealership, they might want to have the the salesperson with you in the car. But this time, it's like, no, here's the key, here's the the dealer plates, and then go have fun. 
so forth with that. And then that's more or less when we realize, okay, we know it. If we were to buy a cross track, we would like this trim level. We really like the space. We really like the driving. Uh, for me, it was a bit. Uh, it was not that much potent. You know, it was pretty slow of a car. Um, and um, but while talking with a salesperson and again looking at some of the um some of the promo images that they have in the dealership of the uh Subaru Outback uh wilderness uh for sure the the, the wilderness package is more of a uh, off-road optimized and i put it in really scare quotes <laughs> the optimized uh it's it, it's not only um like a designer trim package for the looks there are a couple of changes and even if we were to buy uh the limited trim package like th- buying a limited uh, outback or wilderness outback they're like in canada they're more than the same price for sure they're way more expensive than a cross track like at least i think Crosstrack is the one we were buying was around like thirty, thirty-two thousand dollars this one was more like 45 so it was a big jump but in the end Offsetting the value of the car meant that it was still lowering the payments, which is like this having a car that was still not well in demand. <clears throat> excuse me, of the that is the Focus RS, but rare enough that it was still quite valuable, and especially with lack of used cars, even um, it meant that the trading value meant that it could offset for a cross test most of its price. And with the Outback, it meant that it's like I were buying the Crosstrek with a small like, cash down. So it, it was a uh, pretty interesting, and the dealership we went to was pretty pretty nice to be honest. Uh, yes, for sure, there was no negotiation below MSRP. Like that's gone with the current market <laughs> where they have no inventory whatsoever. And, and you know what? That's fine. Like uh, to me. For sure, I know that it's part of the North American mentality that, yeah, okay, they have like 10 versions of the car in stock in their parking lot, so you can negotiate so that it gets out. But to me, if you pay MSRP, it's like when you go to Walmart, you go to Apple, and you pay for your thing the price it's sold at. Uh, the dealer adjusted markups on all or all of the other names that dealership uses to more or less get the a clear pure profit out of you are utterly bullshit and the dealership we went to it was never part of the negotiation like the price we will ask you is the price of battery charges um and again in the end we didn't have to wait too long to get the car so since we didn't have to wait too long the conversation also didn't change when the car arrived uh but again if we would have decided to take another car Possibly we'll have to wait in more than three, four weeks, which was pretty quick in the end because we started to shop around like late February. Dress drove the Crosstrek and it was pretty funny because at that point, even in late February, if we wanted the Crosstrek like right now, it was A, impossible and B, it was a kind of a two to three month wait. So early spring, we would get it like around, I think I recall uh, being told May to June. But uh, because of... Because of the wilderness package, that will, uh, will explain in more details, there's important distinction in the gearing of the transmission and the transfer case. And the, the suspension is a bit more lifted. We're talking, I think it's 20 millimeters more. So it's not that big, but it's big enough that I was like, you know what? I don't want to drive the one that you have right now that is a 
Outback Limited. I really want to experience the wilderness because it's higher from the ground, the gearing is not the same, so fuel mileage will be a bit worse. So I really want to experience that when we test drive it because those are uh, changes to the way the car drives that can impact a decision where do I like that or not. So I, can, I was not comfortable basing my purchase decision uh on just try test driving the normal uh super rollback and it was good for us because they were receiving one in two weeks for that exact purpose um and in the end they received it they called us back which was pretty nice i, I think in the end we they, we did get great service uh during the sales process which was good because you know like we were a bit hesitant, he could have tried to push us to the push us to the cross track, and like in the end, he kind of the, the salesperson kind of realized that he was about to make a sale out of us, but that uh, we need to test drive two cars. So we uh, we got to try the Outback for sure, higher to the ground, it's a bit more big, it's a, like it's bigger compared to the cross track, but overall. Uh, we do like the more, I won't say luxury, but for sure by being a bit more expensive, I think the interior is a bit more well-made and it's a bit more spacious because it's a intermediate size uh, SUV. And I think that's more or less like me, the interior, the quality sold me. And then I know the spaciousness sold uh, Tony even more. So we end up deciding to get this one. And then that when it becomes the big decision because they could get one for us pretty quick it all depends if you want to not care about the color or we want to care about the color <laughs> one of the the uh so the wilderness package has a special color called geyser blue and it's only available on the wilderness package if you want to get any other colors they're all, all available i think in all the other trim level uh, but for sure because this color is special for that package you can imagine that everybody that was buying a 2022 wilderness which was this package was new for 2022 so it's in march it was about maybe nearly a year old i think they like subaru started to ship 2022 model i think in summer 2021 and of course the geyser blue color was pretty popular the other color we wanted was autumn green metallic and for, luckily for us this one was available in three to four weeks and the reason it was said three to four weeks it was because the car was made it was just stuck in transit and funnily enough uh, those so the, the outback is not made in japan it's made in the u.s so it was just stuck in a train on its way here so it was just waiting for somebody to reserve it to have, have a dealership to reserve it so we had to do the, the, the question was to say like, okay, do we wait three to four weeks where in that time span, they can still give me the price we negotiated for my focus because they could lock the exchange, the, 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 the used car value of my focus for three to four weeks, like 30 days is the general consensus from what I've heard. So that would be pretty okay without having to renegotiate, reevaluate my car if it were to take two, three, four months. Same thing, like, same thing, uh, not same thing, but the, that would be an issue because with Geyser Blue, it was like we would go at the end of the line and that was like three months plus. Uh, same thing with the Crosstrek, the same day, like we came back two weeks later. So you could imagine, okay, you just are later than two weeks in the pipeline, so we're in May and June. No, no, no. At that moment, it was even crazier. It meant that in two weeks, we did the jump of two months. So we came literally late February 
And at that point, to get a cross track, it was five months because it was February till August. And even August was kind of, we hope for you to get it in August. So that was pretty crazy. So in the end, we decided to get with the autumn green. It was a color we liked. Uh, we even ended up seeing the geyser blue um, on another uh, Subaru. The Forester also has this color with the wilderness package that they had in the dealership. And since buying the car, we saw some on the road. And personally speaking, I don't mind. Like both of them are really great color and I would have been happy with both. Uh, but Tony, every time he sees the blue, he's like, no, we made a great choice. I really enjoyed the green uh, for this car. So I think overall, um, with all the our story and all the stories I hear, especially because the main... So I lied a bit when I said that we didn't cross shop uh we did one and so we i went to my back to my ford dealership because i was curious to see a mackie and possibly try to test drive one which was near impossible <laughs> we quickly sat in one and this one was being delivered to a customer so it was kind of like oh let me like they asked the customer if you can go sit in it uh and then uh i think they were cleaning it for the delivery day and a couple of couple of minutes later, they would just like have the the, the customer that is buying it, uh, and that was I think like we went again in late February, and the director literally came to the desk and he was like, "I sound like I'll do a sales tactic that you need to say yes now, but like take your time." But I just want to tell you that the orders to get a marquee in 2022 are about to close. <laughs> wow. and we were in february is like like i look at the numbers we got from ford and you know what like i possibly it's a liar like don't get me wrong it's possibly a sales tactic but I, the, it felt genuine to both tony and i um and it was like think about it but if you want one in 2022 you kind of need to give us your name like now or in the next two or three days because the the build slots are getting allocated quickly through all the dealership. And it is, they were also comparing to the 2021, the number of build slots they get in Quebec. And he was saying like, it will get, if we're getting half of what we got last year, it will be an amazing year for 2022. Wow. So, so yeah, so the electric car market is even crazier than just the car market <laughs> in general. Uh, so that's why I felt that in the end, we're, um, we're pretty happy that we got the car pretty quickly because like even if when we started to look in February, uh, like that's kind of why we started to look there because I was telling Tony like it's time to shop because if it's something if you're okay to like still not drive too much or like drive with the focus a bit, like assume that it might take three to six months to get a new car at this point because if we, maybe faster but we'll have to pay more and but I don't think it's a good idea for us especially when. When like with houses right now, at least in Canada, like the star, the market is starting to cool off. So you don't want to lose money on a depreciating asset, especially like a car and especially like a new car. So, so yeah, so that concludes the uh, kind of like the whys we decided to change the buying process. Uh, in the end, like I said, we got pretty lucky to get a new car in three to four weeks and uh, we've been uh, driving ever since. I did say I would come back on the wilderness package and a bit of distinction between uh, 
the different package. So the Outback, first of all, is available in two engines. There's a base four-cylinder, 182 horsepower, 2.5 liter, which I didn't even try. I was like, no, 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 no. We tried. I think I think this engine, the, the the base engine in the Outback, is the upgraded engine that you're gonna get in a cross track, which we did test drive, and I felt it was slow in the cross track. <laughs> so can you imagine in the Outback that it's bigger? I was like, no, 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 no. Or the 260 horsepower, 2.4 liter four cylinder turbo engine is the kind of a the premium engine in the uh, Outback lineup. And luckily for us, with the Wilderness package, you have no choice. You either get the turbo in there or you don't get the Wilderness compared to if you want to get for the same price, the limited or more expensive, the Premier, you can get them in both the base engine or the turbo engine. Uh, for sure, the price is different, but uh, the Wilderness package is the only trim level that is requiring the turbo engine. And I think it's for obvious reason. So like I said, uh, Wilderness package, I strongly invite you. For sure, I'll put the link in the show notes of the page itself. But while I talk, please look at the pictures and compare it with a normal uh, Outback. For sure, if you live in Canada, when you go, if you don't know car, but you look at picture, Google a picture of a 2022 Subaru Outback, you'll see a shit ton of them, like 100% sure. Same thing if you live in the east coast of the US or in the west coast, like Portland, like the Montana region in the US, you've seen Subarus all back, cross-track, a lot of them. Uh, like I said, so the wilderness package is kind of their off-roady package. So it's not a Jeep, let's not kid ourselves, but uh, it has a lot of cosmetic changes, and like I said, I mentioned the special color. Uh, it has off-road optimized gearing. They did mention that they changed the gearing in a transfer case and a bit in the transmission. They also have special ECU and trans- transmission in all-rail drive system programming called X mode. And this mode is gives you driving mode, but optimized. So there's two modes. One optimized for snow and dirt, and the other one is optimized for deep snow and mud. Uh, the suspension is lifted by giving you 241 millimeters of ground clearance. And again, I was struggling to find the exact number in my research, but if I recall correctly, it's like 10 to 20 millimeters of more ground clearance compared to standard. You have a 17 inch wheel with Yokohama Geolander all-terrain tires. Uh, Again, off-road look. You also have protective skid plate. You have the the roof rails on your car that the Subaru Outback has since its introduction in a in 95, excuse me, not 85. Uh, it has an increased load carrying capacity, and the best example again give you for this is for a rooftop tent when you go camping. Which I won't lie, I want to try it uh, try one day. <laughs> uh, something that is getting rarer and rarer in these days in new cars is a full size spare tire, which makes sense in the off road team that is this package compared to having a can of run a flat, I forgot the exact name, but it's a can of some liquid that fills the hole uh, that is now pretty more common compared to having a spare tire. And last but not least, which I think I'm skipping a couple of things, but you can find the exact listing of options on the Subaru website. But the last big thing is that the 
upholstery of all the seats is a special soft touch all weather and see like it's not like leather it's not leatherette either it's kind of a mix of something that is easily clean if it gets dirty uh which we didn't get it dirty with like mud and everything but my nephews uh my niece and my nephew have ridden the back and kids are kids so it was pretty easy to clean for that I think overall, um, compared to the options, what we were looking for, especially for this car that would be driven by two people, we felt that the interior options were plentiful, but that the packages in Canada are a bit weird for Subaru cars. The same thing is for a Crosstrek. So if you never shop for a car, what I'm used for is you have a trim level, then you have options that you can add on top of this trim level so the trim level is more or less like you can buy a la carte if you want but the trim levels give you certain option for cheaper uh and it's a it's a bunch of option all at once yeah it's a preset mostly yes usually you have your trim level and then you have packages that you can also add on top ford is good at that like the focus rs the focus sd are considered trim level in the end and then you can add extra packages. Uh, not the same for the RS because the RS was like, I think the only option was like sunroof and then like GPS. So it wouldn't have like extra packages of like things like that. But uh, I know, for example, in VW, they have like the electronics package or, or the uh, security ADAS package. So you can add packages like these on top of your trim level. Subaru gets rid of all of that. It's only trim level, at least in Canada. It's only trim levels and no options so you decide the trim level you want and because of that i felt that the way the trim levels were delimited delimited in canada are a bit weird like i said if you want to spend 40 42 45 k on suv and you want to buy the outback you kind of have to make a decision do you want the off-road look or do you want the more normal look of the outback so it's either the wilderness trim level or the limited trim level but for a car that would be driven by two adult i think there's two important functionality available in the limited trim level that was not available in the wilderness package and those two are power adjustable passenger seat so yes driver seat always power adjustable but passenger seat like we end up and you might have never seen me in person, but Tony and I are not a different. Uh, of a, the, we are of a different height, so we adjust our seat quite differently. So having to move them back and forth all the time makes it easier if it was uh, with a power adjustable passenger seat. And the second thing that can be applied for the driver's seat is in the limited package, you would end up with a two-position memory driver's seat and exterior mirror. So nowadays, when we move the seat, um, we need to literally change it manually or electronically but we have to ourselves remember where we feel it's okay and not have the car do that and the other thing which i'll come back when we talk about the interior the functionality and the designs is that we have a big screen i won't say more than that but the only additional option you could have that is not available is the gps functionality and you know what i use carplay all the time i don't really care but it was weird to me that the wilderness package, which is the off-road one, which means you don't have cell coverage, doesn't <laughs> include GPS functionality. 
So in or onboard maps, because that's usually the cost of the GPS functionality in cars. Why it's expensive is because you pay the premium on the fucking like uh, ear map, a Nokia ear map or TomTom uh, Tom maps that the um, car manufacturer has made a deal with. Um, so we get all the functionality of the big touchscreen, but no GPS, which was weird again mainly for the purpose that Subaru is trying to sell you with the wilderness package. But still, in the end, we felt that we really liked the look, and I won't kid myself, um, and that's going to be a good transition to the design section of my review, is we could have bought the limited one to get those options. Like, they're, they're not that... They're a more... They're small hindrance in the end after six months, like... We, I feel like in the end, I kind of figure out where my seat should go, and so I feel comfortable and things like that. But one of the things that really pushed us to the wilderness package was the look. And I know it's cheesy because you know, somebody buying an SUV that it goes off road ish and just for the looks is, or buying a pickup truck just for the pickup truck look and not for the pickup truck purposes i'm a hundred percent aware i'm a hundred percent transparent about that yes i did fail for it but it was a hundred percent conscious uh for that so that's part one of the looks part two of the looks is for a car that came from an origin that is a wagon so in 95 when subaru brought the outback to north america it was a wagon. And for sure, I think until like maybe 2005 to 2008, that's when it started to grow and become more SUV shaped. But to me, the Outback, even in how, it's, how it drives and how it feels inside, it feels SUV-ish, wagon-ish. It's kind of a lifted wagon. It's not an SUV. It, like It tries to retain the car-like attributes of a wagon but give you the design of an SUV because we all know that that's what sells uh, to most consumers nowadays. So while the ride-out is higher and I have to kind of like, not jump, but kind of like do a a, a leg movement to go up uh, in the car, it's weird how can you how how you feel you sit quote unquote low for SUV, but the the main point where I feel that I drive a SUV is really with the front section of the car, which is it's not squared like a a Jeep Wrangler, but it feels square like the nose where the engine is. It's pretty long and then it falls off like abruptly. So like for small kids that cross around. Luckily enough for us, there's a front-facing uh, web, uh, front-facing camera, and that can be triggered with a button. So that's pretty neat to park and things like that. But I think that's where the more SUV attributes comes to the well uh, to the Outback itself. It's pretty big of a car, uh, even if in its own origin it came from a wagon. The rest, I think, is it looks like an SUV. It's not. The most, ignoring even the, the wilderness package that makes it look a bit more buff, if I can use this term. Um, I don't think it's the most fluid SUV or like the shape is the most fluid, the most artistic. Like it's not, a, 
I don't want to say it's not a pretty car, but it's not the pretty car either. I don't have the best word to say it this way, but it's, it's a, kind a, of just a blob like all the other SUVs. Yeah, but it's not kind of a, a water drop like all the electric SUV where it's kind of no. like float and then it's kind of like the, the coupe SUVs. Like it's, it's yeah, I, I agree. I agree with your term. Like it's a blob SUV and it doesn't look too much apart. Uh, especially in its normal form, maybe in the wilderness form, like it looks bulbous and tough a little bit more, but, but yeah. So I was aware that like, if I, I don't want to compare it with the Focus, because that's a dumb comparison, but a good friend of mine always called this, called the Focus like a sexy car. Even if it was kind of angular, it felt more angry as a car. It's not like the Porsche. I think that the Porsche feels sexy because it's fluid, but with the Focus, it felt like you're going on a race, uh, on the racetrack, and then you're having fun with it, and you're pushing it in the corners. Uh, and w- with the, this SUV, it's because like, you're driving an SUV. So I know it's um, it's more subjective. You might really like, find it's pretty. I'm not saying it's ugly, quite the contrary, but I don't feel we'll win like design awards either, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Let's move to the interior because I have a lot to say about the interior. So the, the Outback in its latest generation suffers from most of the interior is a big screen. It's weird because the... If there's a place where I will enjoy a big screen is the new like digital clusters. Guess what? Analog cluster. So I was like, okay. But the infotainment system and all the AC and ventilation system is all behind this. I think it's 11 or 12 inch. That is, a, I like to call it a la Tesla Model S because it's a vertical uh, infotainment system screen and it contains everything. There's a couple of key buttons for uh, some key elements. Temperature can be controlled with buttons. Fan speed is on the touchscreen. One of the things I utterly despise about the touchscreen is the uh, eating seat is in the touchscreen. So you have to touch your screen area on either the left or the right side. Excuse me. And it's not right. Even if you see whether the eating element is on or off or at which power level is at it, one, two, three. If you want to change it, you have to open a submenu. Oh, no. That is, yes, that is annoying. Annoying, annoying. Because on, and again, uh, for this one, on the link I'll put on the show notes about Sport as the Subaru Canada's marketing page, I invite you to find an interior shot uh, so that you also have a kind of visual element while I explained it. There is like, the volume is a knob where you can, when you press on the knob, it mutes. You have two buttons on each side. I think one side is the uh, eating element on in the mirrors. So the defroster and the back glass and the mirrors. And then on each side of the screen, you have two up blue arrows and two down uh, red arrows for temperature. It's and the opposite, but yeah. I'm, I'm looking at a photo right now. So. <laughs> the up yes. is red and the down is blue. Yes, it, it, for sure it's opposite because I'm just going through memory and not that. But <laughs> yeah. you see that there's not that much buttons around that. So you can control your temperature. And they, you know what? They realize people will change temperature um, often. So let's put buttons. And then I'm like, you know what? I don't change temperature that frequently. I do play. I more or less put it in auto. 
around 19 degrees Celsius, whether it's in the winter or not. Whether, so it means either EC or eating element, depending on the outside temperature. Mainly use the eating seat, which is on the touchscreen, and play with the fan speed, which is also on the touchscreen. But the fan speed is available in this dock area at the bottom of the screen. So you can up and down pretty quickly while driving, but not the uh, eating seat. Funny story though about the eating seat is when you open this submenu, I discovered that it's like if it was a normal button. So to turn it on, it's, you press once, it turns on at the lowest level or the highest level. So you have one, two, three, depending on which settings you want. But if let's say you had setting three and you want to turn it off, they do support touch and hold. So if you press and hold and then lift, then they'll be like, oh, you really want to turn it off. So at least that's that. But having to have a, a, a model to do a common operation like this in for a feature that is pretty well used, maybe six, seven months per year. Like it gets chilly around mid-September, October. So we've started to use the eating in those seats more frequently now. And we'll do during the whole winter up until maybe March, April. So, so yeah. So that's a big downside of uh, the interior for the HVAC system. For perspective, we started getting our first frost warnings last weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? I'm not, I'm not big into, especially in, during the fall and early spring or late spring. I don't really put the eater on, but I put the the eater element in the seat on. So uh, it's something that I wish I had in a Porsche because driving the roof down in like right oh. now at night, it's pretty fun. It's cold but it's pretty fun. So we have to put the uh, ether to maximum and then blast <laughs> eat to your seat. And then really, this one has leather seat, so it's pretty cold too. But I digress. We're not talking about Porsche tonight. Um, infotainment system. Uh, it's a big screen. I use CarPlay all the time. Um, <laughs> I miss the update where... No, I, I miss the moment where previous OS updates was not showing CarPlay for the whole height of the screen, except the, the bottom area where it's dock with the HVAC controls. Uh, but I've seen in reviews of the Subaru Outback with that in, uh, infotainment system that there was an earlier period where the upper half of the screen was reserved to CarPlay and the lower half was showing you like the Subaru controls there and that sucked because it's a big screen you want to use the whole area I've heard that they haven't fixed that for Android Auto so if you're using Android sucks to be you uh, so I couldn't understand that is a downside because the, the, the big screen is nice and if you're a CarPlay user you want to use it all for that uh, CarPlay integration is pretty neat uh, like I said the digital it's an analog cluster so we have two gauges but in the middle there's a more a screen in the middle uh, and it shows you a lot of information and then when you play music through carplay or if you have driving directions to carplay they show up there so it tells you okay in three kilometers turn left so it shows you the next step which is pretty neat uh, nice integration there too uh, like I mentioned when talking about the uh, the wilderness package, the soft touch all weather upholstery is pretty neat um, because it's kind of not leatherette, not leather, and not fabric. It's it's kind of a weird mix where it's good at everything and bad at not that much. Uh, so I really enjoyed that part 
of the seats. The seats are pretty comfortable. They're pretty wide too. We're talking there. There are SUV seats, so they're spacious. Let's put it this way. And not where I'm, they're not bolstered that much either. So I'm pretty used to bolster seats with the Focus RS. So, uh, but they're not like a bench either. So you feel like you're held in place in the seat and you don't move that much when you turn left or turn right, for example. Another gripe I have with, um, Yes, with uh, the big screen is that I feel... So there is a dimming element where car detects that you're at 9 and tries to lower the, the brightness of it. But it feels to me that that logic makes me want to change because I have a scroll wheel uh, in near the driving area where you can select which kind of brightness level you want to be at. And it feels to me that when you're in the day, you want to be at the, at it's, uh, there's five notch on the scroll wheel. And I think, yeah, I want to be at the fifth one, so the most brightness during the day. But when the car does its auto dimming functionality, when it's the tech thing that you're driving at night, I feel that the lowest level at the fifth, fifth notch is too bright because of the big screen. So I end up being required to play with this this scroll wheel, uh, especially, let's say, we've done a lot of road trips with the car where we drive around like dinner time where there's a lot of sun, so you want to have it bright. And then you park the car, you go enjoy. We went to Ottawa recently, so we went to enjoy to Ottawa. We had a show, watched a show, came back, and it was like pitch black. And then it's like you turn on the car, it's like poof. It's like the sun in front of yeah. your eyes. And even if it dims, it's too bright. So I don't like because the position of that scroll knob, it, it, it's not made to be adjusted all the time because it's on, on your left side and it's lower on the console, uh, in the, not in the door jam, but in that weird area where there are buttons for less common things. So if you've drove a car, I know it's hard for me to explain right now, but you know which I'm dry, I'm trying to draw to you. So it's kind of like not where the, um, the stocks are, but below on that place. So usually you, you'll have like the turn off, the press and hold to turn off traction controls, those types of controls where you need once every blue moon and it, or Things like uh, the dimming switch, you set it to the right level, you don't touch it, and then the few times you need to play with it, you know where it is, but it's not convenient. So the fact that I have to play with it more than I liked, and that it is in an inconvenient place, makes it for a, 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 a subpar experience, I would say. Okay. Uh, the next part of my review is about the ADAS system. So recently we had a long episode about what does it mean, the different level of automation you can get in a car. Uh, and the Outback is literally my first car that has something more than just cruise control. So I'll go through the list of all the system that are considered more or less a basic level two system, if you remember the definition we discussed in that said episode. So it has blind spot monitoring. So it lights up a light in the mirror to tell you somebody, somebody is your blind spot. There's rear cross traffic alerting, reverse automatic braking, pre-collision braking, lane departure warning, Adaptive cruise control with lane centering assist and distraction mitigation system, which sadly I don't have 
in the wilderness. It's one of the rare other options that I didn't mention up until this point that are in the limited or premier trim level, but not in the wilderness. What I like about all of those systems. First, let's talk about adaptive cruise control. Remember in that episode about ADAS systems and all the different levels. When we, I mentioned I wished I had a car with adaptive cruise control. <laughs> now I have one. And Subaru's versions allow for full stop in traffic, which was amazing. I don't drive too much in traffic, but you set it, you drive, and then yes, you have to babysit it. So it's a weird, it's a weird feeling because it does the thing, it detects the car, it starts to slow down, but you always, for precaution, you don't really ever have to trust it, right? So you always kind of have your foot near the brake pedal just in case something happens, you know? But I think overall, for the rare moments I drove in traffic with that car, uh, adaptive cruise control is just amazing. Like if I had to drive every day to go, let's say to work, uh, I would see that as a major feature uh, to have a better experience driving this car because it is, and the fact that it slows down it even like the only thing you have to do, especially because of the start stop system, so it might stop too, stop the engine. So you have to nudge it and you can just use the cruise control buttons on the steering wheel to tell it just restart and go. And it just goes. You don't need to press the accelerator pedal. And by pressing the pedals, either the brake or the accelerator, it will kind of deactivate cruise control. So using the up and down for the speed controls for the cruise control really just tells it, hey, go you can go like i know you stop that's fine so it's pretty neat the other part that i mentioned about adaptive cruise control is the lane centering assist and it works but it's really annoying at times so to detect that you're paying attention to the road you need to keep your end on the steering so it it doesn't have a camera monitoring your eyes and even if my understanding is even if I had the distraction mitigation system, which is literally a camera looking at your eyes to make sure that you look at a camera, uh, the lane centering, centering assist will still work this way. Again, since my car doesn't have that system, I cannot 100% confirm and I forgot to research it. But the idea is with lane centering, the way it works in my trim level is it, it introduces a torquing force in the steering wheel motor. And that force is inverse of what you should do. Let's say you should drive straight. So it will either try kind of do a, a torquing force, either left or right, just a bit, so that it can detect the inverse force of your end holding the steering wheel. But the weirdness of it is this added stiffness is not present in the feel of the electronic steering assist that you have normally with a car so the car feel more stiff but not in a good sense where like you uh you driving a car with an hydraulic steering system no, no no it's really like a stiffness and you see that you feel sometimes that it changes the force it applies through your through the steering shaft so that you can detect it's it's a bit weird so sometimes like it ends up where you shake the car because you're trying to force and it's like oh you're trying to turn let me turn and it's like okay yes i'm trying to drive in the other lane now so that's a bit dangerous so i've enjoyed in long drives but sometimes i feel that my arms are getting uh, tired more easily with that system because of this added 
torque that you need to do. So I would say it's a hit or miss. Sometimes I use it, sometimes I do not. I think I kind of realize that Tony is rarely using it these days, mainly for that. Sometimes I kind of forget that it sucks and then I use it <laughs> and that. The other downside of all of that is I feel that in general, ignoring the additive cruise control, is a lot of them are quite intrusive. And I think that's kind of a common thing I don't like about the the outback is a lot of the things made in this car thinks that you're a dumb driver. And I kind of get why they've done this. But a good example for the ADAS system is, like I said, it has reverse automatic braking. So one day we were parking in a back alley and I had my trash can where I parked so I put it can put it on my balcony near the door. And you know what? Like I was backing at maybe like five, seven kilometers per hour. And I'm like, you know what? Like, okay, I know I need to be close to the trash can because when I remove the trash can, I don't want to have a huge gap between my neighbor's balcony and my car. So the car is kind of halfway in the back alley. So I back and then at some point it, it figures out that I'm either going too fast or, oh my God, there's a trash can. I need to slam on the brake. But I'm like, I was literally a millisecond to about to go do that and the system freaks out and does it for me. So that's kind of where I realized that it's a bit intrusive for this one. The other one that I feel that it, it's not intrusive too much because it's just a warning, but the lane departure warning. So it detects that you're just about to leave, like to to drive on the yellow lane or the white lane, depending on which side you are. It, it annoys the bagging beep, 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 like... You're, leave, you're leaving the lane without flashing. It's like, I'm not leaving the lane. I'm just not centered. Let's put it this way. So it is, um, yes, intrusive and also kind of talkative. I, I think it's the, it will be the right term here. It beeps at you all the time for stupid reasons. <laughs> Again, um, I haven't go through the steps of possibly deactivating some of those warnings and things like that. I think it's, Possibly something I might do. I am unsure. I'm hesitant of doing it, even if I feel that it's kind of end holding me a bit and things like that. If I add the other parts that are less about the ADAS system, but about those warnings that are annoying, the other one is like the seatbelt warning is utterly annoying. And I'm not the type of driving without seatbelts. I'll preface this section by saying that. I think it's utterly dumb people that does that. In this day and age, but this car check for seatbelt, uh, like for pas- passenger attendance and seatbelt wearing on all five seats, including the driver. So sometimes you just move the car, like, you know, like it will beeps. You know that's fine. It can beep. The leg required for it to beep, but I just want to move it in my parking. This car, the second you drive one kilometers per hour, it beeps at you. And if it's like more than five seconds at one kilometer per hour or more, it the beeps gets louder and louder oh, no. pretty quick. Like at some points, like I, I won't do it through the mic because I don't want you to freak out. But like imagine like beep, beep. Like it's crazy, like annoying. Like I know I don't, I didn't wear my seatbelt. Give me a sec. And in moments, like, Legally speaking, in Quebec, when you drive reversed, you're allowed to remove your seatbelt so you can look behind, not look at your mirror. Don't do that, kids. Look behind. Don't use your mirror to to drive to drive reverse. Even sometimes, and not all the time, 
it will beep when I reverse with no seatbelt. I'm like, dude, I can't do that legally here. Leave me alone. So that's what I mean with Subaru thinks the average driver is dumb and it wants to remind you that you're doing something bad. And if you're doing something bad, it yells at you. And that, for somebody that likes driving car, I think that's my main gripe with the Outback is when you make it angry, you make it angry. And it's kind of annoying. So I know for this one, it's pretty easy uh, to fix. But like, it's so instant that it will annoy you that sometimes I just like you, I'm parked and I'm about to just do the turn to leave parking. And then I want to buckle my seatbelt. Like, I cannot do that because like it will yell at uh, Tony and I just by doing something like that, uh, which with a number call, it might do doing this operation might do one or two beep and then you're in your way of buckling your seatbelt and then stops beeping at you but with with the outback no 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 you're possibly just this action of leaving your parking spot and then starting to drive on a small street and buckling your seatbelt you might be already in level two where it has increased the level the sound level uh and i've done it like just for trolling the car and testing it i've done it like just drive around the parking or like in around my parents' neighborhood in a small street. Let's try to drive more than like three seconds. (laughs) And yes, it gets loud in the car. It really, really wants you to put on your seatbelt, which was funny. It's really funny that you mentioned that because like, I don't always think about this, but there are occasionally anecdotes while you're in Japan or something where you realize like, oh, everything here makes noise. And makes noise, especially when there's like something out of the ordinary happening. Like right. I, I can remember the first time I went to a Japanese ATM and I pressed the button to put the language in English because I still wasn't confident enough in my ability to read kanji to take money out of the machine. The second you press the English button, it starts yelling everything at you like you can't <laughs> read English. Oh my God. And it's super embarrassing when you're, like, the only person for whom, like, the ATM is yelling at you while you're doing your shit. Hopefully for you, it's not like doing that when you enter your NEEP. No, 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 no. One, two, three, four. Oh, crap. No, that would be really bad. But it's like, uh, or even just, like, uh, thinking of escalators and train stations. Like, it's not rare that the escalators will do a... A loud noise every let's say 15 seconds followed by a brief message that says hold on to the rail on the right side or the left side and it's like i understand there are like accessibility uh reasons why you would want to do that in a busy station so that people can actually orient themselves by sound which is not a bad thing but like when everything is making that level of noise in the society it can become just a default that you're like well of course in this car i'm going to make this thing that makes a lot of noise because everything in our life makes a lot of noise and i think that's more of a thing in japan than it is here yeah it's funny that you bring this up because i have a good car example that is not that but is a car from uh, japan so if you if you follow Doug Demir for a long time, you might remember at one point where he imported a small cargo van from Nissan in Japan. So that oh, was the S cargo. The S cargo, yes. <laughs> and he was complaining that the S cargo at a hundred kilometers per hour will start beeping at you. Yeah. I guess to tell you it's above a hundred kilometers per hour. Uh so yeah. And at least this one was just like beep. 
beep. That was a that, that was a pleasant beep, not yeah. in the outback. I know Yannick, you haven't ridden into it, and that's for uh, logistic purposes. Usually, when I drive in Thravia alone, uh, it's because I have the Porsche, especially during summer. But for sure, ne- next time. The first time you'll be able to ride in uh, with the car, yeah, I'll, I'll show you the beep and I'll show you how <laughs> quickly it escalates at I, the sound levels. I did actually see the Outback once because Tony was in my neighborhood completely by coincidence. I left my That's house true. for like the one time that week and uh, he happened to be exactly across the street yes. from me at the same time. <laughs> yes, I, I recall I was texting like, because he told me, I think he was stopping literally, I think a block away from your place. So he's yeah. like, hey, I saw you, Nick walking. <laughs> So, so yeah, so uh, alerts are intrusive. And it's funny because I read reviews saying that the car was talkative, uh, that the ADAS system was sometimes a bit too uh, intrusive. But six months in, I was not expecting that level, especially from the seatbelt warning sound. Uh, so that chime is just uh, atrocious. Okay, uh, next stop. Completely in a different category. I want to talk about gas mileage. Um, funnily enough, it's more or less the same as what I had with the Focus. So uh, it's more or less depending. I think even nowadays we do a big split of like 60-40. Tony's also using it for uh, for work nowadays compared to me. I was not doing that with uh, with the Focus. So I would say maybe the, the Focus was more like 60-40. I would... Excuse me, highway driving versus 60, 40 city driving. Like when we do, like, let's say for a full gas tank on the highway when we did a road trip to uh, Toronto or uh, uh, in early spring, it was more around like 10 liters per 100 kilometer. But city, <coughs> city driving is more like 12, 5, 13. So yeah, so that's kind of like after six months, kind of like, again, I've had spreadsheets since the fiesta of me keeping my gas mileage and getting those numbers. Um, I'm a bit crazy like that. Don't ask me why. But it was fin- funny to see that I'm not dumb. I knew that the the focus was not really efficient on gas. Let's put it this way. Uh, I was not for sure not comparing with the months where I went to the racetrack because that's even funnier. <laughs> uh, but like the, the normal months where I would do a bit of like errands around the city and then it's a lot of like back and forth to twelve. yeah it was kind of still thirsty-ish more or less giving those numbers but now with the outback we have a bigger car we have a more spacious car yes less power but think about it it has maybe it's as about 100 horsepower less but it has about 225 kilograms more and it consumes more or less the same amount of gas so so on that front, oh, uh, but for sure it's a bit cheaper because this one doesn't use premium gas compared to the Focus. So overall, it does end up being a bit cheaper because of the premium versus regular switch. Two other things I forgot to mention about things I didn't like. Um, CVT transmission. <laughs> I don't know what to say more than that. Uh, I do have a clear example. I I don't care too much about the CVD. It's okay. But we feel that, and even that is something we figure out. The two next point is something we figured out during the test drive is we feel that sometimes when you go from park to reverse to drive, it's like when change gears or change modes of the transmission, like it 
it's a bit jarring again. It's like it wants to go forward, but you haven't like left off the foot of the brake pedal. Same thing with the start stop feature. It's when it wants to start the car, it tries to start the car. So it's a bit like it shakes the car. And again, my focus had start stops and it was not doing that. So I'm not sure if it's just Subaru. I think it is because it's something we mentioned during the test drive to the salesperson. Even in a cross, I was like, oh, you know what? Your start stop is it's aggressive. You know, it, it shakes the car a bit. So seems to be uh, something f- common or not known, but the way starts up is implemented in a Subaru Boxer engine seems to be that, but it's not subtle compared to other start stop features that I've uh, envisioned. Uh, that I've used, excuse me. Okay, last up. Sad to say, Uh-oh. but we did run into a couple of issues already oh. in six months. The first one, I don't think it's to blame anything of Subaru, but I think the part that was a bit less ideal was the coming back. But in May, we did a big uh, road trip to Toronto to go see the cherry blossoms that we have here in Canada. It seems that we have some. Uh, So it was my first time going to Toronto for that exact purpose. And it's on our way to Toronto. We haven't left Montreal. We're about maybe 20 minutes away from our place. We left for the long weekend. We receive a big rock in the windshield and we shatter the windshield and at that point the car is so it's in may we got it in late march and that's around mid-may so it's not even three months old Mm, so that was fun yeah that sucked uh we kind of discovered from uh, yes anecdotal data but uh tony's good friend she has the seven passenger like three row Ascent SUV from Subaru. She already had to change her windshield. Our neighbor with an Impreza Sedan, she has a crack windshield. So it's, it seems from anecdotal data that possibly Subaru windshield are not the best. The worst part is, okay, I could go to a windshield shop and then get a, like an aftermarket windshield. But I'm like... Yeah. I know it's cheaper, but it's a three-month-old car. Yeah. Do I want to do that? So I decided, you know what? I'll go to the dealership. I know it's going to be expensive, but I want an OEM part. And sadly, uh, only the dealership can give me that, even if I know that the possibly the main difference is I don't have the Subaru logo on. And it's the same brand, the same windshield manufacturer, just I don't have the Subaru logo. But I was like, if it was like a year after I bought the car, I would have done it, but not even three months yeah, I bought the bull. Uh, we built the bulletin and we went there. Funny story with that. It it required three wheel windshield shipments to get a <laughs> good one. Oh my god! And that was yes, and that was the f- the sad part is we dropped the car, so we had to make the arrangement to drop the car, lose the car for a whole day, and then to just hear, oh yeah, we unpackaged the windshield and it's chipped. Like, what? (laughs) So, and then a second time. So we come back. It's okay, we'll order a a new one. Same exact thing. So after a second, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I know it's not your fault. Like, you receive it this way. But can you just, like, do the inspection before we come? And then that's when they explain. But no, we cannot fully unpack it. Because if it's fully, like unprotected we need to install it now yeah so to discover the 
in perfection, we really need to do it at installation time. Okay, so then then they promised that the third one, and then the third one was okay. It seemed so. So, so that, that adds was two more data points to your anecdotal data that windshields are shit. <laughs> right, the suburb ones, yes, yes, because the one that the dealership received from the factory had issues according yeah. to the installer. So yeah, so two more. Uh, so that was fun, but again, that's a road hazard. So nothing really to blame to Subaru. And again, uh, I think if you have friends that had accidents, and luckily for them, I hope they're all fine. But if have anybody has to do like a body work on a car these days, getting bumpers and things like that, you kind of realize that there's a reason why they're struggling to build cars, you know? It's because they're missing parts and they're struggling to keep parts running. So I, I'm not surprised, too, that possibly the windshield build in the last six months are not 100% perfect either. Uh, so we can kind of ignore this one, but it, 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 I don't say it left a bad taste in my mouth, but I think the dealership did okay in that whole experience at the same time. So the after sale, so the service department was not that great. But the sad part is I had to deal with them two months later. So in, I think in August, we were due for my oil change. So I go to my independent mechanic and it was fun to see my independent mechanic. It's been a while since I've seen him and he was surprised to see. So I called him like, oh yeah, I have to avoid change. And by the way, I have a new car. So it's always funny to have those moments because he's a really big car guy. So, and, and things like that. And when he saw the car with the wilderness, like, what the fuck is this all back? <laughs> like you bought it from the factory this way? Like, yeah, you should go look. It's like, like him and his employee, like was, were nerding out and then kind of like, Oh my God, they do it this way now. I was like, yeah, you can. That's uh, new from this year. But my appointment was like five minutes. They put the car in the lift and then they look like it's leaking oil. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, it's look, it's leaking oil. Like, all the underbody of the car is full of oil. Like, are you seriously kidding me? Like, the car has, like, 8,000 kilometers at that point. So, yeah, uh, I'm not even six-month-old car, and it's leaking oil. So, that was fun. Um, and it's funny because, so, the dealership where we bought the car is on the... It's close to my place, so it's really on the way back. So, after going there, my mechanic's really honest. Like, you know what? The car's so new. Like, I don't want to touch it like i pulled back the hood we remove it from the left and it's like go to your dealership like i don't touch it and it's not i don't want to give the dealership a reason to say it's my fault and i was like you know what you're right like that and he's really like transparent about this that's, that's why i'm still going there five six years after no more than that six seven at this point more or less since i moved to montreal and bought a car um, so we go there and so I sit down and say, Hey, you know what? My Subaru is leaking oil. And the guy's like, Yeah, hey, yeah, Subaru leaking oil. That's normal. Especially when I was mentioning the, like, the early aughts area, uh, <laughs> where Subaru had more than just oil issues at that time. But the guy, you know, was like, Okay, uh, Subaru leaking oil. His nonverbal was pretty clear that it's not the first radio. He heard about that. And it's like, so what car do you have? A 2022 Subaru Outback that I bought not even three months ago. And then his face changed. And he's like, <laughs> are you really serious? Like, yes, go in my account. Like, go in my, my yeah, go look at my information. It's like, 
oh my god like there's a big problem like that's why i'm here yeah <laughs> so in their defense i think they took the problem seriously the problem is that it took three weeks to fully fix uh and it's a mix of again part shortage having the subaru engineers come see the car which was fun uh so they they first do the, the their normal diagnostic they call back and say oh yeah we need to keep the car for the weekend because we don't have the parts wink wink i've been here i've been i've heard that in may for the windshield or there was a problem so we're like you know what can we reschedule if it, is it that bad it's not dripping it's like no no you can still drive on it while we receive the part fine so a couple of days before we were supposed to bring it back so they can replace the appropriate parts They call me back and they say, oh, yeah, we'll give you a rental. I'm like, I'm not supposed to get a rental because you were out of rentals. Like, yeah, now your car needs to be seen by the Subaru engineer. I'm like, oh, crap. (laughs) So TLDR, they figure out that the sealant used on the oil pan failed. And after looking at that and doing a couple of road tests and putting ink in the oil to see where it leaked and things like that, they want to make sure that the engine didn't siphon some silicone or more or less like gasket material. So they had to remove something in the oil pump and fold. I think it was kind of in case of, but also because Subaru wanted to see that part and put it in the lab to see if everything was fine. And guess what? That part was also out of stock. Oh no. So yeah. So in the end, it took literally three weeks. And again, I won't name the dealership. I think they've done okay, but, because the, the 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 person I deal with in the service department is okay. It's it's not the uh, best, uh, most amazing like after sales service I've you I've got on a car. It's not the worst either, but I think it's kind of like like base average. And that also happened when the guy left for vacation, and then nobody took on my on my dossier. So. Like, I've got no follow-up. I had to call multiple times to see what's happening with the car. Where is it in the town? And then nobody knows because the guy is gone and nobody's kind of like... So, in general, it felt that they were kind of overbooked. They're overworked. Like, everybody's working like at 115%. But you know what? As a customer of a new car, it kind of makes for a customer service experience. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, in the end, I was pretty happy that they took the problem seriously. It was sad that we had to have a shitty rental. Um, it was a Hyundai Tucson. And it was funny because Tony <laughs> despised that car. I was like, you know what? Like, it... There was a reason why we didn't want to sh- cross shop other cars. Because, you know, <laughs> a, I'm not saying it's a bad car. But again, what I'm trying to say is when Tony was lusting after the Crosstrek and Subarus in general, I was like, they're good cars. So... If that's what you wanted, and I'm also okay to get that. Like, not only okay, but I was pretty, like, happy to get the Subaru. Like, there's nothing else to go cross shop in the end. We've made a decision. And now you even have a clear example of why it made no sense to go cross shop in the end. Because I'm not saying that all the other cars are like the Hyundai Tucson, but... God, no. You would see, like, it is on the spectrum of available options and he was like oh yeah okay now i understand what he meant and I'm like, yeah. uh so yes so that's that um i have to look i i i was supposed to 
I wanted to book an appointment and then go back to my independent mechanic and see if it was really fixed and things like that. Because again, I don't trust dealership in general. I haven't done that yet, but I guess I'll just... It's uh, winter season coming soon, so it means winter tires. So I guess I'll have to do that soon. So I'll do that next time to see if it's still quote-unquote leaking or not. But being assured that it is not, and that will be fixed. So there's for that. But again... um. I would say bad experience, but a lot of big bad experience. Like I haven't had big events like these. I, I had a couple of uh, couple of small hiccups with the Focus. The Focus had a leaky transmission, and it took a couple of repairs to get it fixed, which was a bit weird because it was like the first one under warranty, and then it leaks again. And it's the same thing. Like my independent mechanic discovers it, asks me what's my warranty left on it, and say, okay, it's still powertrain warranty available. So we go to dealership. Dealership says, okay, yeah, we forgot where it is. This part is under warranty. It's okay. We go. I go back for something else. My independent mechanic says, your transmission still leaks. And then guess what? The next one, oh, yeah, but that part of the transmission is not under warranty anymore. So, so yeah. So I had a couple of that, but, like, but not in a short amount of time so yeah so that was not that i think that's more the with all the things i said i didn't like with the outback i think not those are the worst one but i think those are the the one that left the most sour taste in our mouths both tony and i of our current six months experience with uh the outback like i said we're about to cross 12k we're like we're driving this car a lot way more mm-hmm. than i would assume we would uh, especially after six months i think we'll slow down but again this this car is used extensively by tony for work uh he has to do a lot, to, a lot of he's having a lot of client visits so yeah after the car for that i like to be again to be totally transparent it's a hundred percent way better as a family car as a not a mainly dri- uh, like a daily driver but it is yeah now that I think of it, it is a daily driver because Tony is using it daily, but it is better of a, a better like main car for both him and I than the Focus is. But again, like I was, I said in the nearly five years I own the Focus, I missed the Fiesta at that time too for different reasons because they they were different cars. I for sure will miss the Focus even if I have the Porsche. That is a different experience. Uh, but you know what? One thing that I can say for sure too is I enjoy driving this car and I also enjoy being driven around. So it's kind of the <laughs> first time in 12 years of relationship with Tony that I can be driven around because now he can drive, uh, he can drive me around and he also enjoys it. Uh, I would even say more than I do. Uh, and I kind of really like this car. Wow. I really expect this car to stay with us for I don't want to make big promises because if you go listen to episode 165 again, you'll realize that I own the Fiesta for literally three years to the day. (laughs) And the focus was, I think, four years and nine months. I bought it in late June and then we returned it to the dealership in late March. So it was literally three months away from five-year ownership. Uh, one thing I'm really eager in the coming weeks is even if I despise winter, I really love driving in the snow. And since we got it in late March and last year, late March meant no snow in Montreal, which was a bit strange. So it meant that we didn't really do that much snow driving. So I guess I'll be able to experience that and experience the, the X mode I mentioned, uh, when talking about the transmission to see how it impacts the, uh, all wheel drive system and all that fun stuff. But 
I kind of, at this point, with this time range of me more or less changing cars every three to five years in general, I wouldn't be surprised that at that point, let's go to the extreme of five years. So we're in, so we'll be like 2026, 2027. First, we'll be three years away from the official end of new gas car in Quebec, which is 2030. Uh, and B, I do ex- expect that I think for our needs uh, and our constraints, let's put it this way, that an electric option will be more viable. I think the main issue is why we didn't go electric, even if we were interested of doing so with this purchase, is A, price. Um, I think to get the same size of vehicle but electric, we'll have to put at least 30k more at least b for sure but the bigger arguments are in stock and different options because again for the size we were looking it's kind of like the outback would be a bit in the tesla per lens it would be kind of a in between a model x and a model y kind of talking about so it's kind of the two options there uh, if you look at what BMW has been doing, the iX that has just been released is utterly expensive, and it's more like, uh, like Model X uh, size shape tube. So all of the, uh, those options are pretty expensive nowadays. So that's uh, right now the uh, six months update with the Subaru. I hope to bring more content to it, but again, I think it might be a bit more time. Like I've done with the Focus, I think I, with the Focus, it was there was an episode the, around the moment I bought it, and then there was a four-year update, more or less. <laughs> so don't expect uh, one soon. Possibly a couple of follow-up updates, especially if I have uh, things to say about winter driving about this car. But moral story is if you're looking for an intermediate size SUV right now in the market and uh, your car considering Subaru, I would strongly suggest that if you are considering that you look at the Outback and if you're not considering Subaru in your shopping list, that you do because they make great cars. Uh and for the price of all, you get a lot of features and functionality and reliability and an amazing all-wheel drive system. And that is it for me. It's funny because I was wondering why I hadn't really heard about the Outback in Japan. That's because it's called the Legacy Outback over there. It's like a sub-model of the Legacy line. The Legacy here is the Sedan car. And you're correct that they're made on the same platform so remember when i was saying that this car is built in the u.s Mm -hmm. only the legacy and the outback are built in the u.s for the north Uh. american car kit if you buy an impressa i shouldn't say that because i'm not sure about the ascent and other cars but i know for sure the crosstech and impressas are built in japan and that was impacting the, the 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 delivery date we received too because even if they were built faster they still need to be shipped from Japan to here compared to yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Outback. It's built in the Indiana. Like when we bought it and my dad was like, oh yeah, I remember I've seen the, the, the manufacturing plant when I go in the US in the Indiana. Like he knew the plane, the, yeah. the, the factory because he drove around there uh, a lot. So there's that aspect. And I, because of that, I kind of wonder, I have to look, uh, if the Japanese model or even the European model of the Legacy and the Outback car might be a bit more different compared to what you get with the North American Crosstrek to uh, rest of the world Crosstrek 
if they're because they might be building the same factory in Japan compared to uh, the legacy and the Outback. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Okay, so that's it, huh? Yes, uh, but Miel, I know that for sure. One day you'll have a ride in it for sure. It's oh just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> Uh, so you can find the show notes for this episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 191, where you can find all of the episodes of our podcast over at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the podcast on Twitter. We are at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also find us individually. I am at Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And you can find Nukadier at Lukonosh. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.